What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is Foundations, number one, uh, Power Bases. I know that sounds strange because it's brand new. Uh, just came, I kind of discussed it a little bit at the end of one of the last episodes that we were going to start something new. Um, something I've been wanting to do for a while is generally to get other contributors on the podcast kind of almost doing their own thing a little bit to force multiply me and get just other perspectives uh, out there for you all. And also, I, I when I first started uh, going on six years ago, I did more educational style topics uh, as solo episodes. And I kind of wanted to get back to some of that. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't get to do. There's a lot of things as I study organizational leadership that I, as I, I read things just for my college coursework and my own research and books I read and all this other stuff, I, I want to digest those things and pass them on, pass the lessons on to you and, and share those things with you. Uh, and I just don't have enough time to do everything. <laughs> so luckily, uh, I recently did the episode with uh, HMC. Uh, it's the rejected episode. Uh, I want to say it's 71. Uh, so go back and check that out. Uh, give some info on him and just a little more context on his story. Uh, but one of the things we discussed after the fact was him becoming a normal contributor. So about once a month, you will start to see a foundations episode with a topic, uh, like this, where he's going to do research. He's going to cite sources. He's going to talk about studies and journal articles and books and, and research, uh, and, and share an educational modeled topic, uh, with you. So that's what we're doing here today. If you like it, let us know. If you have suggestions, feedback, criticisms, whatever, as always, hit us up. Don't give up the podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of the social media uh, pages. And please let us know what you think. Uh, it's a new thing. We're just starting out. This is his very first podcast he's ever recorded, except when he was the guest. Uh, so there's going to be things that he can improve on, and he wants that feedback. So please let us know. Uh, and we can improve on this and, and build on, on this in the future and make it better and better and better. Uh, and with that, I hope you guys enjoy Foundations number one, Power Bases. All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of uh, the series that we're going to do called Foundations. What are we going to do in Foundations? Well, Foundations is going to be uh, more of a deep dive into formal leadership concepts, the skills, the technical abilities that leaders need and that we need to have inside of the Navy. So um, the big thing that I want to talk about for, or that I want to lead off with is that there's no such thing as a sailor who is too junior to be an effective leader. Leadership has nothing to do with the rank that is on your collar, the insignia, the ribbons, the warfare designations that you wear on your chest. It doesn't matter when it comes to leadership, right? When the chips are on the table and it's time for someone to step up, anybody can do it. Let me repeat that. When it's time, anybody can step up. So what we want to do here. Uh, at DGUS is we want to provide some of those skills and some of the technical abilities so that whoever is listening to this this podcast, whether it's 
more senior personnel, uh, more junior personnel, whoever, um, gets a little bit better understanding of leadership concepts and, and skills necessary to be effective when that time comes. So with this idea that there's no sailor too junior to be an effective leader, right? I've had plenty of examples just in my career. Actually, I guess I should probably talk about myself a little bit, huh? Um, obviously, I'm not the regular guy on the other side of this microphone. I'm a new contributor, so I'm mainly going to be doing these kind of foundations, the series, right? And we're going to be looking to do this long term. So um, I am, if you want a little bit of my background, I am episode 71. So I'm a 14-year hospital corpsman chief. I have served all over the place. Uh, I haven't had a PCS less than 3,000 miles. Um, but you know what? All of that's in the other episode if you want my background information. So what are we going to talk about today? Today, we are going to talk about power bases. Uh, and power bases in the sense of what gives a leader the ability to influence a follower. Why do we follow the people that we follow? How do we lead the people who follow us? Why am I on the other end of this microphone? First of all, I'm not an expert, right? I'm not some kind of like leadership guru. And there are plenty of sailors out there who, when my name is uttered, they would curse me, right? Because I am or was a leader that they just fundamentally did not need when when I was there. Um, but while leadership is such a massive topic that covers sociology, psychology, behavioral psychology, ethics, morality, yada, yada, you know, all this stuff, right? While I'm not an expert in all of these fields because I haven't been studying it for that long, um, I have been formally studying leadership since 2011. So I got an undergraduate degree uh, in organizational leadership, graduated in 2016. And ever since then, I've been reading and studying the topics that I'm going to try and cover in this foundations series that we're going to do. First, we have to get it, we have to talk about some baseline definitions, right? How am I going to define power for the purpose of this lesson? So I'm going to define power as the ability of an individual, either given or taken, to create a self-defined desirable outcome in another person. Okay. Notice that this, uh, that this is notice who defines the desirable outcome, right? It's the person who's trying to cause the influence, right? Uh, and the ability can either be taken or given. These are all, I, I define it this way for a reason. Ultimately, uh, I, what I hope to show throughout this, this talk is that all power is the desirable uh, outcome in which we as leaders should be striving for, right? But for now, uh, these power bases are a good baseline to operate from and a general definition of what power is. So kind of starting it off uh, way back where the first discussion of organizational influence started, which was with Kurt Lewin in 1939. Okay, so Kurt Lewin is generally considered the uh, grandfather of organizational uh, leadership and like organizational psychology. Um, his he was not 
this wasn't even like what he wanted to get into. He didn't want to get into the organizational leadership or anything like that. He was really just looking to define um, why people do things. And it didn't, it really had nothing to do with work. Um, but a lot of his research now is being used in the organizational um, backdrop to kind of further that level of psychology, right? Um, so Kurt Lewin, in combination with Ronald Lippitt and Ralph White, published an article in the Journal of Social Psychology, and it was titled, The Patterns of Aggressive Behavior in Experimentally Created Social Climates, and social climates was in um, parentheses. So in that, he outlined three major types of leaders in social concepts, and, and the social concepts being everything right your family your friendships your the in groups and out groups that you're a part of or not a part of um you know the pta everything so in that he defined that there were really three types of behaviors that people um contributed to and that was and some of you may have heard of this before um and if this you know I'm sorry, I just I want to provide a little bit of background before we get into the actual power bases, right? So um, the three kind of behaviors that, that Kurt Lewin saw was authoritarian, democratic, and laissez-faire, okay? So authoritarian, that kind of behavior is a person who makes all the choices regardless of uh, the member's input. Um, they provide very little input to the team unless providing clear instructions on how to complete a task. Uh, dictating how the task should be completed with the intention of evaluating members based on that example, right? So they are not the ones who are going to ask your opinion on how to do something. They're going to come into your work center or your workspace, right? And they're going to say, hey, look, this needs to get done. This is how I expect it to get done. Let me give you an example. Um, and, you know, in all reality, we would, we would, definitely call these these people um harder to work for right they're they're task oriented they want you to get this thing done and they want you to get it done in exactly the the right way a good example of an authoritarian was henry ford right and for those of you who don't know about henry ford he was the one who invented the conveyor belt he was the founder of the ford motor company um and he hired people not because they were people or because they had a special skill set um, but he turned people into machines basically and he told those machines people exactly what to do how quickly to do it and how fast to do it a more current example um amazon kind of does that a little bit they they describe exactly how long your lunch break is going to be how many bathroom breaks you can take how many packages you need to package in a warehouse how many shipments you need to ship right it's very down to the minute down to the second uh exactly what i need you to do in order to complete a job and that's the authoritarian way of doing things right that doesn't being an authoritarian is not bad right um, it's very useful when teams need to execute something quickly uh, or decisions are needed to be uh, fast when teams are not able to monitor themselves or they lack the integrity to complete tasks to a specific standard that is necessary. Um, so like in the military, we need authoritarians a lot, 
right? Especially, you know, boot camp wouldn't be boot camp without authoritarians. A school wouldn't be A school without authoritarians. We need to be told exactly what to do sometimes. Um, in, you know, from from my context of being a corpsman, if nobody knows how to run a mass casualty scenario, I'm the only one in the area that does, I need to turn on my, put on my authoritarian hat and start barking orders at people and telling them exactly what I need them to do in order to get as many lives saved as I can. Um, that doesn't mean that I need to be an authoritarian all the time, right? Um, being authoritarian is also especially useful when the team uh, has a need or a desire for a strong structure, right? There, there's people who are just fundamentally built to desire a stronger structure, right? Most of us in the military are built that way. That's why we joined the military is uh, because it had a certain amount of structure that we didn't have otherwise. And we, we wanted more of that. So um, authoritarians are, are probably more prevalent in the military than most other types of leaders, uh, especially in senior enlisted. I would, no, that's just personal experience. Um, and authoritarian leaders tend to be friendly or impersonal, one of the two, um, but they definitely, they don't tend to act aggressive. They might come off that way, for sure, there's no doubt about that, but it, that's never their intention, right? They don't act aggressive for being aggressive, just for being aggressive sake. Um, a, according to authoritarian, and a, a, being aggressive and aggressiveness is being a broken leader, right? You already lost the respect of the people who are trying to follow you if you have to be aggressive in how you're um, telling people. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that, like I said, in that mass casualty drill, if somebody's not putting a tourniquet on right, that I can't throw them off that patient and do it right myself. Um, so I guess there's like a fine line, right? There's a little bit of a fine line between what constitutes aggressive because our whole job is aggressive, right? <laughs> At least that's the military. We, we, uh, we kill people and break their stuff. So there's a little bit of aggression evolved in the military anyway. So the next type that um, Kurt Lewin annotated was democratic, right? And democratic leaders tend to um, welcome team input, facilitate effective discussions among teams, uh, and they allow the teams to make the decision pretty much always. They encourage free thinking, challenge current structure and rules, and allows teams to experiment. So the leaders may provide input to the teams. Remember, authoritarians all like very rarely provided input, or they always provided input to the team, um, but it was very specific in like telling people what to do and how they want it to be done. Where as democratic leaders, they might provide input to the team, but only as a contributing member, right? Like, oh, well, this is just how I think things should be done. What are your thoughts on that? Um, these type of leaders are very useful in problem solving. Um, if there's a very complicated problem or it's a very high level kind of job that doesn't have a time frame associated to it, then being a democratic leader can be really helpful. It makes people feel valued. Um, it allows teams to brainstorm and come up with decisions and thought processes that otherwise it might not have happened. And uh, definitely more than authoritarian, right? Like in that mass casualty to drill, uh, while I don't really have time to ask other people's opinions on how to do things, 
that in itself means that I might miss a better way of doing things in lieu of how I know to do things. Um, Democratic leaders tend to get all those viewpoints uh, early. So, like I said, Democratic doesn't tend to be speedy in their approach to leadership. Um, But, however, they are highly effective at focusing talent where it's most effective. Okay, so they're they're just good at... um, getting people in the right place at the right time. So laissez-faire is a type of leader, uh, back to democratic, right? In the military, we need democratic leaders too, right? I don't need um, my battalion commander to just be constantly telling my company commanders or, uh, you know, in light of the Navy, I don't need my commanding officer telling all of my department heads being an authoritarian and telling them exactly what he wants them to do in all of their shops, right? I need him to kind of get their opinions on things, right? Ask the suppo about supply stuff. Ask the swos about, um, you know, swo stuff or the aviation guys about aviation stuff. I don't need to tell them how to fly their planes or run their supply departments or um, tell doctors how to do medicine. Um, I need to ask them. What's the best way to do it? And then make a decision from there. So democratic leadership styles are useful too. Um, but again, that's specific, or, or that's that's when it doesn't need to be timely. It doesn't need to be, it's not like a crisis situation, right? The third thing that Kurt Lewin noticed was laissez-faire. And that allows groups to um, complete tasks autonomously. Like basically the leader is just not involved with the team at all unless absolutely have to. So it allows groups to complete tasks autonomously um, with no input or feedback from the leader. The leader tends not to participate in the work at all, opting instead to allow the team to carry out the tasks that they already know is necessary. So this is a type of leadership style that's highly effective only when the team itself is highly effective in self-starting, right? If you've got a team of absolute pipe hitters that are, you know, the EPs of EPs and every one of them would be mapped in any other situation and they then they can they can be ran, they can run by themselves, you know, they'll they know what needs to be done and they'll go do it, right? Um this is not a really effective leadership style inside of the formal structure that the military holds. This is a leadership style that's probably a little more um, conducive to uh, maybe like a training environment. And you know, actually, this I I used this leadership style uh, one time. One of the best one of the best duty stations I ever had. So I was I was the senior medical department representative for a training cell that was in charge of training combat life-saving and tactical combat casualty care, so CLS and TCCC for all you corpsmen that listen, uh, to all of the uh, embedded advise and assist teams that are that are deploying downrange right so these in for those of you that listen to this podcast that don't know what an advise and assist team is it's a team of like 40 people who are all masters in their specific trades right like you got armorers and corpsmen and and whatever you all of these 
different aspects of being in the military. And they deployed, uh, we were sending teams to Afghanistan, um, and they would basically embed with the Afghani army and teach them how to be an army, basically. Um, so I was the senior medical department representative in charge of teaching these two courses and uh, for, for all of these deployers heading downrange. I had a staff of three people, all of whom volunteered to be there and all of whom were extremely proficient in not just the information we were teaching, but also how to teach it, right? Because those are two different skill sets. So um, I had a staff of four people. I didn't really have to tell them what to do week to week for the grand scheme of things. We really just kind of came into work. We did what we needed to do, and then we left whenever it needed to get done. And the only time that I really stepped in uh, and talked with my sailors was when I was forced to by the Navy, basically not... And let me clarify, like talk to my sailors. I was talking to them every day, all day, because we were all in the same office, like a little cubicle farm. However, I didn't talk to them as their leader. Uh, and really, unless the Navy forced me to, you know, during CDBs that were predefined or evals, that kind of thing. Um, for the most part, I just let them do what they needed to get done. And our shop ran like a clock it was incredible and if you asked any of them um it was one of the better duty stations any of us have had because it was just such a highly functioning team and i was able to adopt a leadership style where i didn't have to tell them what they already knew that's when laissez-faire leadership is incredibly effective okay outside of situations like that it is almost always disastrous because the leader is not involved, they are not observing or, or really doing anything with their, their sailors. So if their sailors are not taking the initiative and don't know what to do, then most of the time things are going to start falling through the cracks pretty quickly. So if you're going to use a laissez-faire style of leadership that Kurt Lewin defined, then make sure you're in a scenario where that works. Um, I would... I would just recommend, you know, maybe take the training wheels off first and but still kind of stay heavily involved as far as observing. And then if things continue to go like after like a six month period of of the training wheels being off, then, hey, disengage fully, fully um, get involved with the laissez faire leadership style. So getting into a little bit more of that research that Kurt Lewin did, he wanted to define power, and this is different than how I define it. He defined power as the possibility of inducing forces of a certain magnitude on another person, right? Again, incredibly uh, generic, right? Um, it did not, it was not specific to organizational leadership. His research just kind of served as the diving board for everybody else to go off of. Um, in 1944 and again in 1951, he expanded that definition of power to include a power field, basically where uh, an individual who is trying to um, induce that force of a certain magnitude on another person does so over a broad range of of their environment. You know, um, for instance, as a chief, right? When I try and convince somebody to do something, I usually do it over 
through multiple channels, right? I will do it by example as far, you know, let's do something as easy as like uniform regulations, right? Um, I will do it through example, wearing my shirt stays, making sure that my uniform is, is good to go and looking good every time that I put it on. I will do it through explaining the rules and making sure that sailors have the information. And then in addition to that, I'll make sure that I'm inspecting my sailors. So not only am I providing them the information, but I'm also providing uh, feedback during those inspections. Uh, and then if between those inspections, I notice uniform infractions that need to be addressed, I'll address those to my sailors. So across all of those different aspects of my chiefing, I am trying to influence other people to adhere to the uniform standard, right? And that's what my power field is. Um, everybody has a power field. Everybody has a power field, even if you're not considered a leader, right? Like if you are a leader or considered a formal leader based on the basis of power that we're going to talk about, um, your power field is going to be a lot bigger. But everybody just by existing has some sort of power field that people will look at, look to and can be influenced by. This leads to some of Kurt Lewin's later research, which was show showed that in group dynamics and in social situations, these power fields that everybody's emanating some in some way tend to overlap. So you can get competing power fields that an individual may feel um, at war with the group that they're surrounded by or the people they're surrounded by to figure out exactly where they need to be, uh, where they need to follow. Um, so that's something to be aware of, right? As, you, as you're a leader, right? What is the group that you're in? What is the group that your sailor's in? What are the competing influences that are either not necessarily directly opposite of what you're trying to influence your sailor to do, but what are the influences that aren't quite in alignment with yours? And how is that potentially impacting your sailor? Um, and... Power fields are also created on a group level. So outside of these competing individual power fields, groups, however you want to define that group, you know, whether that be racial, ethnic, gender-based, rate-based, warfare community, however you want to define those groups, there's a set of norms that also has a certain level of influence over individuals, and that's a group power field. Uh, so that kind of covers Kurt Lewin and his initial and subsequent research that he did. So now that we have that background, we can kind of get into the power bases specifically. Um, the power bases were originally created by John French and Bertram Raven in 1959. And they did a, they started their research trying to figure out what aspects specifically of social influence that people use to create behavior change in somebody else. That's what they were trying to define. French and Raven defined their query as what do people use to create a change in a system uh, with a system defined as a combination of behavior, opinion, attitude, goals, needs, and values. So John French and Bertram Raven basically defined the power field right there, right? Um, a system defined as a combination of behavior, opinion, attitude, goals, needs, and values. That's your power field, according to Kurt Lewin. It's just a different definitions. 
Um, they knew that these changes could be observed immediately. They could be observed over time. Causing influence in somebody didn't have to be immediate. It didn't have to, to take a lot of time either. It could be either or. And so in 1959, uh, they published uh, the, f- the first five power bases that they defined. The first five power bases were very generalizable to a great range of social interactions. We still weren't to a location where they were defining their research based on an organizational leadership, but their later stuff um, definitely started getting into organizational psychology and, and how that impacts the follower dynamic. So they, in their research, and I just kind of want to make this clear because the further I go in this podcast using these definitions without defining them, the, you guys might be lost. So in the research that they used, uh, they used acronyms for the person causing the influence and the person being influenced so that their research was generalizable to such to such a degree. However, we're not really trying to do that here at this podcast. We're talking very specifically inside of the Navy and very specifically about leadership. So I'm going to use the per- these the definitions of like anybody who is trying to cause influence to cause influence. That's going to be the leader. Okay. Uh, and anybody who is being influenced by that leader will be the follower. That might not be technically true. And I'm sure you'll be able to see how these power bases can be used outside of that definition. But just because of the audience that we got going on here and what I'm trying to do, that's what I'm going to use to define it. All right. These bases of powers were categorized into two main groups, dependent power bases and independent power bases. Dependent power bases of power are those that rely on the leader actually doing something, right? Acting on the follower in some kind of way. I would go so far as to say these are like extrinsic motivational behaviors, and there's actually a really good bit of research about there's no such thing as extrinsic motivational behaviors, but that's not the rabbit hole we're going down on this one, okay? So um, dependent power bases require that a leader actually does something to the follower. Independent power bases, as I'm sure you can figure out from here, uh, do not rely on the leader acting on the follower, but more so the follower just wanting to act in a certain way because of this power base. And and you'll understand when, when I kind of start to define the six power bases that they found. And so these independent bases of power can kind of be considered intrinsic motivational behaviors or intrinsic motivational drives that we have. Um, So there's no such thing as a bad power base, too. Let's really focus on that. Um, Every power base of the six can be used in very specific circumstances. Some can be used in much greater aspects or, or a much wider range of places, but None of them should be looked at as like, oh, I I can't use that power base or else I will be an ineffective leader. That's not that's not how the power bases work. It, it, and if anything, a truly effective leader has a mastery of all of these power bases and utilizes them as necessary to 
cause that influence or cause that change in another person's behavior that that leader desires. Okay, so don't I'm I'm gonna use one of the power bases is like predicated on punishment, right? But that doesn't mean that it's a bad power base. It's a very useful power base. Don't start thinking that like certain power bases are good and certain power bases are bad. All of them are important, and all of them should be uh, at 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 your level, at a leader, at a frontline, baseline leader level. You should use all of them. Let's get into it. And I brought up in 1959 that Bertram and Raven had five power bases that they originally published. In 19, mm, I think it's 65. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it's 65. It's later in my notes, but whatever. Um, In 1965, they expanded it into a sixth power base. I'm going to go over all six, uh, and then we're going to kind of talk a little bit about how to use those. The easiest one, well, the easiest two, their dependent power bases to understand is reward power and coercive power. So let's talk about reward power first. Reward power is based on a follower's perception that the leader has the power to mediate rewards in a timely manner. It is incredibly important that you understand that the follower's perception of that reward is paramount to this power base. Okay, if a follower perceives that a leader can't even give that give a reward that the leader's promising, right? Like a leader, like me as a chief, I can promise uh, my sailors, hey, if you do this thing, um, we're gonna go home by noon. However, I don't necessarily have the ability to promise that, right? Because the CEO could change that very quickly. So, so my junior, my sailors, if they if they hear me say, yeah, we're out of here by noon. Um, and I'm using this example because you see it on the meme pages all the time. But if I if I tell my sailors, hey, we're leaving here by noon, they're like, yeah, well, you don't really have the power to do that. So my reward power base right there is almost nothing because they just don't even perceive that I have the ability to give that reward. Now, if I said something along the lines of I was the, the LPO of a medical record shop, right? And every year you have to go through and make sure that all the medical records that you think you have, you do have, which is a incredibly painstaking process and annoying. Um, and, you know, medical records never has enough sailors or staff to get it done. So um, as a leader, I told my sailors, hey, look, if we stay late, right, keep working all the way through, once it comes to dinner time, I'm buying everybody pizza. That's a reward I can guarantee. And that was a reward that they they knew that I could guarantee. So my reward power base was a little bit higher right there. Additionally, not only do they need to perceive, do, does a follower need to perceive a leader's ability to give the reward, but that reward has to be valuable, right? If all of my sailors in that scenario that I just gave, if all of my sailors were vegetarians, pizza's not going to cut it for them. So you have to make sure that the rewards you're trying to leverage to whoever you're trying to influence are rewards that they want. This behavior is dependent, right? It requires that that the leader observes the follower, monitors for uh, adherence to whatever standard was set in order to give the reward, and then once it is met, actually gives that reward. It's dependent on the leader actually acting and it's kind of limited in the sense that that specific leader is the only one who's ever going to have this power 
the base of this power is highly transactional as well. So it's like each fulfilled reward that a leader gives will increase the followers' perceptions of the leader's ability to reward, right? So if I gave pizza that one night, then hey, leaders, they're my the followers believe, hey, he's got a good ability to do this. If I don't follow through on that reward, then my power base drops. And that happens every single time that a reward is promised. It happens every time. And I'm sure even you as a as a junior sailor had an experience where um, a leader promised you something and didn't follow through or a leader promised you something and did follow through. And you, as a consequence of that, looked at the leader slightly differently. That's what I'm talking about when I say that this power base is transactional. A- another really key thing to focus on here is that if a leader fails to reward a follower, even if that reward was only perceived by the follower to have been earned, right? Like the leader never really even formally promised something, um, but the sailor was just like, man, I I did really good. I, a really good example of that is like SOQs, right? Because um, I know that I don't ever promise any of my sailors, hey, we're putting you in for SOQ, right? But some sailors might believe that whatever you know whatever they did during that quarter warranted them being submitted and if that chief or that lpo doesn't submit the person who believes that they earned that soq that will reduce that leader's reward power base even though they didn't even necessarily fall short on a reward that they actually promised um, so reward power is pretty easy to understand, but it's also, there's a lot of nuance to it as well. And very similar to that is coercive power. Um, coercive power. So coercive power is the other side of the coin to reward power. Coercive power is power, uh, based on the followers perception that a leader can and will act on the ability to punish the follower. Uh, like reward, this is a dependent power base, right? It, it requires the leader to, um, observe that sailor closely and it's specific to an individual leader, right? It's only going to apply to whatever leader is trying to enact or, or try to do that punishment, right? Like once a, if you had an LPO that, uh, had threatened coercive power and then for whatever reason they PCS and a new LPO came in that coercive power that the previous LPO promised doesn't necessarily transfer to the new one because, that new LPO might not even know the standard, might not agree with that standard. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily apply. So, um, it, it, just like reward power, it is specific to that individual. Um, the coercive power of a leader also is incredibly dependent on the follower's perception of the severity of the punishment. Just like the reward, right? If if the reward wasn't something that people wanted, then it doesn't really hold a whole lot of power. The punishment is is exactly the same. Coercive power base requires that people don't want the threatened punishment. For instance, threatening a sailor with restriction while you're doing donuts in the ocean, not really that big of a deal, right? Threatening a sailor with restriction while you're pulling into port that's a big deal, right? The coercive power base has grown just because of the context in which it's trying to be used. Um, so punishments can have impacts on group dynamics too, and this is really important, right? Because 
I have seen the Navy utilize group punishments as like a standard for pretty much all of my 14 years. So understand that even if you're only using punishments that are warranted and on an individual basis, it still has impacts on group dynamics, right? And that might be why I feel like group punishment happened, even though it it might not have. I'm not going to get super in the weeds on why punishments can impact group dynamics. Um, it's, it, it's another topic that I'm going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast. But basically, if you're, con- if you're being punished regularly, or even if you've been punished once, right? Like the dude on restriction who has that red badge on their, on their uniform, they can be ostracized by their peer group resulting in downward spirals, spirals, right? Or if that peer group really likes the individual that got put on restriction and doesn't agree with the punishment, then group motivation to follow the leader based on other, other power bases like legitimate power or reference power, those are going to fall a little bit. So just you know, I'm not saying don't punish sailors when they deserve it, but if you're going to punish the sailor, realize that there's a lot more in play than just the objective, what the sailor did and what the rules are. Um, and that if you're constantly punishing people, especially if you're constantly punishing the same group of people or the same peer group, eventually your power base is going to dry up, not just coercive power, because coercive power if it's abused or if it, it turns into a negative power base for a leader, it has bleeding effects into the other power bases. Like we'll get into, we'll get into later what, how it's going to do that. Right. Um, so tying it also back into the power fields that I was talking about before, anytime you use coercive power, you also have to apply energy in your social dynamics somehow to prevent that, individual that follower from leaving your power field because as soon as they leave your power field then the punishment doesn't matter anymore right um if a co puts somebody on extra duty and restriction but then they pcs two days later then it doesn't even matter right um or if an lpo has counseling shit after counseling shit after counseling shit on a sailor in a divo record but doesn't give that divo record to the next lpo that that sailor transfers to then None of those counseling shits mattered. Okay, so um, the leader, it, it does require a lot more energy on the part of the leader than reward does because you have to make sure that you're keeping whoever it is you're trying to influence through coercive power within your power field because they're naturally going to want to leave, right? They don't want to be punished. Nobody wants that. So those are two of the two of the dependent power bases. Now we're going to get into legitimate power. And I think legitimate power is one of the most complicated ones okay and i'm going to spend the most time on this for sure so um, legitimate power is power that is the result of a follower being drawn to some things avoiding others and being able to decide what those things are so in other words it is the power related to a follower's feeling of rightness or oughtness uh, according to french and raven um it's heavily reliant on the follower's perception it this doesn't even necessarily require leaders input it for the most part legitimate power is 100 the perception of the follower and whether or not they respect whatever it is they're looking at um 
for instance, right? Like the the idea of I should listen to my chief or I should follow the group norms in this ambiguous situation. Um, it, that That's what legitimate power is. I should listen to my CEO, regardless of why you feel that way. It's it's generally indoctrinated into the into you that you should. Therefore, the CEO has legitimate power or that chief has legitimate power because you feel a, a drive to listen to your chief simply because of the fact that they're your chief. Um, so this power base, and this is kind of why it gets a little complicated, right? This power base is inherently tied to ethics and morality of an individual. And so it's not generalizable to groups, okay? This is not something that like, a group norm can create legitimate power in the grand scheme. And I know that's kind of contrary to what I just said about like, I should follow, listen to my chief or I should listen to the CEO. But while the, the Navy has kind of like ingrained that into you in all reality, every, each individual in the Navy has to choose to do that. It's, it's not a, group thing that everybody has to do right or else we would never have sailors who are doing who are, who are getting caught breaking the ucmj for whatever reason duis um assaults whatever um so this power base is also not dependent on the leader acting directly on the follower that's what's really crazy about this one so this is an independent power base while small interactions do impact the power base they're not the only factors right you wouldn't to kind of use me as a specific example, right? You wouldn't listen to me, this random chief on a podcast, for the same reasons you listen to your chief, um, who you have a little bit of a rapport with. Uh, or, you know, if this is a negative power base for the chief you have a rapport with, maybe you would listen to me because I'm a random chief on the other side of this microphone uh, and you want to get a different perspective than the chief you currently have, right? Maybe I do have legitimate power, but that it, all of it is dependent on you and your feelings and how like your sense of morality and ethics on who you should be listening to, right? This is how complex this power base can get. Um, since this power base is tied to ethics and morality, it carries heavy weight. And if the power base is abused or gets uh, to turn to a negative, it can impact perceptions of other power bases. So it's a lot like the punishment power base where this one has a bleeding effect on everything, okay? Um, rewards are not worth it. Punishments don't matter. Um, when, when the leader who's trying to exert those rewards or punishment, uh, is just being chosen by the followers, not to, not to, not to matter. Right. Like as I think, uh, I think it was Colin Powell, right. Who said once the sailors or I think he was talking about soldiers, but once the soldiers, you get my point. Once the soldiers stop coming to you with their problems, then you've lost the ability to lead them. That's because he's talking about the legitimate power base here. They, if they are no longer choosing, they, they are no longer believing that you have legitimate power to lead them, that they should follow you for whatever reason. When Discussing group norms, humans are socially conditioned animals. We, we are naturally going to be drawn towards the group and what the group is doing. We, it's, it's actually an evolutionary thing in our DNA. It's a need to stay with the pack or conform to the groups because we're safer. 
Because if we're being honest and we really look at the animal kingdom, we're like the worst animals out there, right? Like the only thing that keeps us on top of the food chain is the fact that our brain is so big. But, you know, if damn near anything decided to kill us, it they usually could. Um, so we have this deep needed or deep seated need to be with the group. We're very much a pack animal. Okay. So fundamentally, uh, if we want to cliff notes, legitimate power, we can say that it is the base of power created when a follower has internalized values or needs, which indicate that the leader has the right to prescribe the behavior of the follower. Okay. The follower has something internal and they believe because of that internal thing, whatever it is, they believe that they need to follow this particular leader to, to meet that need. Um, back to the CEO, I have a need to provide for my family, right? I have a need to get that paycheck every first and the 15th. And if I decide to tell the CEO to go fly a kite just because I feel like it, or if I just don't listen to the chain of command, I'm getting NJP'd and I'm not getting that paycheck anymore. So that internalized need has created legitimate power for my chain of command now. These internalized needs can be flipping anything. Money, stability, a need for promotion, a need for acceptance inside of a group, right? This is where legitimate power bases is where peer pressure comes from. Um, a need for friendship, mentoring, validation, valued, to be heard. It could be anything. It could be anything builds this power base. So lucky for us, French and Raven actually did a, a deep dive a little bit into where does legitimate power actually come from? Um, so they found basically three different ways legitimate power can be built. Okay. The first is through cultural values, right? If a culture, an entire culture values things like, uh, you know, age, then the older someone is, the more legitimate power they get. And that's just because of the cultural values, um, in that society. So things, I, I mean, specific age is a great example the older somebody is, the more legitimate power that they're given just by random people. You don't necessarily need to know that person at all. Just they're older, they're a little bit wiser, right? The second kind of location or area where legitimate power can be built is the acceptance of social structure, right? The hierarchy of authority, like the chain of command, right? And how accepting is a society or is an individual of that, I, I want to make a quick segue to talk about uh, a Gert Hofstede did a great, great, great analysis on cultural values um, around the globe. And if you have, I'm, I'm telling you, that actually might be one of my later podcasts is Gert Hofstede and, and the cultural values that he talks about because it's incredibly useful when you're a leader and understanding where people's motivations and drives are coming from. But, um, he did one of the things that he measured was something that he called power distance and power distance is how accepting is a culture as a whole of differences in power 
just differences in power, not necessarily between anybody. But so for using our context in the Navy, right, how accepting is a culture of the difference in power between a chief and a HM1 or a PO1, right? Or a CO and a ensign you know if the culture is highly accepting like the um american united states culture is, has a very high power distance where it we're very comfortable in accepting that mostly because of us being tied to capitalism but like we we attribute the higher power to some sort of like objective truth about that individual but anyway that's like a, a like i said a different rabbit hole something incredibly interesting go check it out gert hosteed is good stuff back to back to french and raven the acceptance of the social structure is basically that like how acceptance of the distance the power distance is a culture right legitimate power depending on this acceptance of the social structure can stem from offices instead of individuals so that's why a commanding officer will always have X amount of legitimate power because we as a culture in the Navy believe like we're very accepting of that social structure that we need a commanding officer and in that commanding officer has X amount of authority. And I know like I'm not talking about like actual legal authority. I'm just saying in general, we believe that the CEO could tell us to come in early to work or whatever um, because they have the legitimate power, the, the right for us to do that. So if we're going to apply a legitimate power base to an office instead of a person, that requires, because legitimate power is inherently tied to morality and ethics, right? That requires that an individual looks at that office as being morally right. Not the person who sits in the office, but that office. A great example of that specific to American uh, culture is the presidency, right? doesn't really matter who's in the presidency and especially in the military doesn't really matter who's in the presidency we view the office of the president of the united states as morally right generally and we need to follow what they say for whatever reason right this also applies though in in the inverse right like it can be a drain on this particular power base so if the last cmc or the last xo or the last co was morally incompetent according to an individual sailor that office loses a little bit of the legitimate power because somebody who didn't deserve it filled it if that makes any sense so sailors are naturally wary towards the next commanding officer or cmc or xo or whoever as they come in because the last one sucked and the legitimate power was reduced because of that and then the final location where legitimate power can come from is designation by a legitimizing agent, right? A follower perceives that a leader or whoever has the ability, has the right to pres prescribe behavior to them because a legitimizing agent said so or vouched for them, right? Uh, you know, we do it all, we hear it all the time, right? Uh, a new chief is coming in. Uh, the LPO has said, oh, I've worked with them before. They're pretty legit. They're good to go. Puts the sailor's mind at ease, right? That gives that incoming chief some legitimate power because the LPO that the sailors already respected is vouching for them. One of the, and this is kind of like, this kind of goes back to the episode that I recorded before as my background, but 
there was a uh, a select while we were going through this last season, right? Who I had perceived was in dire need of um, some mentorship, or else they were going to get into the the same kind of spot where I was, and I didn't want that for them. So I was chasing this sailor down, being like, "Hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. We need to talk." And he was kind of avoiding me because at that point he was still a little he was still a little burned on Chiefs, right? Um, and so it actually got to a point where he had to run my credentials kind of through another chief that he knew uh, and say, hey, I know you know this guy. What are your thoughts on on chief? What's his name? And luckily for me, he, he asked the right guy because the guy was like, oh, 100% legit. He, he <laughs> go talk to him in the, in the very next hour that that select came and talked to me. I was like, OK, hey, look, let's sit down. And so I suddenly had legitimate legitimate power base for him because somebody that he already trusted, somebody who already had a legitimate power base established, vouched for me. In all of these bases, though, right, all where all of these legitimate power comes from, the leader must realize that the power only stems from the perception of the follower. This is crucial, right? This is crucial. The follower has to perceive that the leader or the office is morally right. And so if a leader understands that, then hopefully they'll act accordingly in maintaining that. But that can be a little dicey too, because what if your morals don't line up with your with with the followers? That's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And I think that like really the only way to get around that is just through these conversations. So uh, I'll make another plug is, is have deeper conversations with the people that you're trying to lead or who are leading you because um, you might find that there's a lot more in common between you two than you previously thought. And maybe those things that were delegitimizing or reducing the legitimate power base of that leader or your legitimate power base are are not nearly as big of a, a chasm as you were thinking they were um so that you know that's enough of that but uh the next the next power base i know we're getting i know this is getting long and it's probably getting your eyes are glazing over a little bit right but we have what is it one two three we got three so we're halfway there we're halfway through the power bases and we got the we got the longest one done okay so um, let's take a second and look at what French and Raven called the referent power base. Uh, referent power base is kind of the one that makes the most sense in, in according in my book. Uh, it's very it's very intuitive. Okay, um, it's the power base that's created when uh, a follower internalizes the desire to be like the leader for whatever reason. Right, this is not the same as legitimate power because. In legitimate power, you're looking at that leader or that office as being morally or ethically right. And I should follow them because they are morally or ethically right. Referent power just means that you're emulating something in that individual, right? Like you see something or you see, uh, for instance, you might, um, your chief might be a really good, great communicator and so you're gonna be like hey i want to be like my chief and communicate like him okay that's referent power that's not legitimate power it it's not saying anything about whether or not you think the chief is morally or ethically right you just know that they're effective at communicating and you want to go be like that 
it's like legitimate power since it's tied to perceptions, but it's less reliant on ethics and morality and more reliant on skills and observable behavior. So this is kind of like uh, the leadership traits that you actually see uh, that you then can emulate. This is also something referent power bases is built through mentorship, right? If you're a mentor for somebody, it's usually because you have referent a referent power base. Um, since it's not tied to ethics and morality, the negative possibilities are less, right? If you see somebody that you don't want to be like, if they don't have a referent power base for you, there's really not a negative side to that, right? You're just not going to have that power base with that leader, but that's it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, referent power is only a positive, okay? And actually what's really cool about this is that Referent power is kind of subconscious. Like almost everything that happens as far as referent power base goes happens below the surface and you're not even necessarily aware that it's happening. Um, so it's it's independent. It doesn't require that the leader necessarily acts on the follower. The follower is just going to notice some sort of trait or behavior that they want to emulate and they're naturally going to be drawn to that leader because of that. So the big drawback on referent power, though, is it's highly specific, right? The referent power base is only going to be used for that emulatable trait, right? That one thing that is specific to that leader and that follower that the follower wants to learn or or be, right? In the example I used before is the good communicator. It That chief might be an absolutely terrible eval writer or they might be a terrible decision maker or they might not know their job at all right but they're still a good communicator so the referent power base is good in the sense that it is giving people the like something to emulate but that doesn't necessarily speak to the ability of the leader so be careful when you're utilizing your referent power base okay because um, or if you're relying on the reference power base too much, because it is, it is very easy for people to be like, well, yeah, I, I do. I, I have, I desire to be like this person, you know, um, whatever the reason, whatever the reason is, I desire to be like this person, but outside of that very specific reason, I'm not listening to this person. So don't rely on referent power base as your only means of influencing people. That leads into expert power. Expert power is, again, another one that's pretty intuitive. The follower has a perception that the leader's expertise, that the leader has expertise in relation to an absolute standard. So what that means is that, like, if you're looking at a leader and you think that, um, let's use a mathematician as an example, right? Or better yet, let's use a technical field, right? Like you're looking at a IDC. I'm a corpsman. It's just the context. You're going to have to deal with it. Um, I'm looking at an IDC and IDC has expert power base for me because they know more about medicine than I do. Right. Um, and that is objectively measurable against an absolute standard of, correct diagnosis versus incorrect diagnosis, right? So it's something that I can, I, I believe exists and I can measure it against an absolute standard of truth. This is mostly cognitive. It has little relation to emotional responses except when considered negatively. Okay, so uh, expertise is recognized overtly by a follower and then deemed sufficient to warrant 
a power base, right? Whatever the expertise is, and it can be in anything. Again, for me, it's just an IDC. And even then, you know, if I'm being flat out, I'm going to quantify what that IDC's knowledge is and determine whether or not they actually have an expert power base or not. Um, maybe their expert power base is limited very specifically to sick call. Maybe not. I don't know. But it, you know, the expert power base can be very limited in that sense too, is that you're, you're kind of evaluating against that absolute standard. So if they're an IDC, sure, but they're still not very good at medicine, then, you know, their expert power base is going to be way less than somebody who's an IDC and is like the IDC of the year, right? The power base relies on the follower's belief that the leader knows the answer objectively and that they are telling the truth. The second part's important too, right? So it, it's not just the fact that they know the information. It's that they are telling you the truth on the information as well. So there's a little bit of morality and ethics tied into this one, but it's, it's directly related to whether or not we believe we're being told the truth. There's there's also something called the sleeper effect for this, which is basically that this power base is incredibly effective at countering negative referent power bases, but it requires a huge amount of time to do that, okay? So um, basically, if you have an expert power base and you're using it accurately, like you're telling the truth, your followers are perceiving that, you're good to go, but you have a negative referent power base, then... Um, the the leader can continue to use their expertise to get buy-in from their sailors, right? And that buy-in is going to translate to, well, probably more legitimate power instead of referent power, but it can translate into other power bases that leader or followers will be like, well, hey, I might not necessarily like this individual. They have a they have a pretty reduced legitimate power base because they're morally or ethically not right, but at least according to us individually, but they are the expert and they are telling me the truth. So that's, that's a little bit of, of positive legitimate power base. And over time, we tend to forget that we don't like people in lieu of the fact that we're getting the right answers from them. So that's how this power base can kind of be used to build up some of the other ones. If you know, you're kind of in a situation where you're up against a wall and you don't have any other option. The last power base is informational. And this is, it's very similar to expert power base, which is why informational was the one added in 65. The big difference is that for the informational power base, it is not measured against a absolute standard. So informational power base is things like, uh, as a chief, I go to the chief's mess, decisions are made at the chief's meeting and I come back to the shop and I tell you what the decisions were. There's no way for you to measure whether or not I'm telling the truth. It, it, it And it's almost irrelevant. The fact is that I have information that is pertinent and necessary for you to keep your job. And therefore I have a slight amount of informational power base because of that. That's the difference between informational and expert. Okay. So this one is Imper uh, not imperative, but it is dependent on the leader actually giving the information. So it's a dependent power base uh, and it's self-sufficient, right? It's one of those ones that as long as the leader's acting on it, it doesn't really need to 
be actively maintained. There's information is a natural, especially in the leadership role, information will naturally come to you first. So you passing that information on will build the power base and you not passing the information on will lower the power base. There's really no way to pass the information on and lower the informational power base. Um, so that's what I mean by it's, it's self-sufficient to wrap up. I just wanted to talk really quickly about a study that Philip Podsikoff and William Tudor, and I might be butchering their names. Okay. The citation stuff is going to be at the end of this, uh, or in the notes of the podcast, if you're interested, but it's kind of important because the study talked about the group dynamics that I referenced before of using reward and coercive power bases on individuals. Okay. So we were talking about before how like if chief rewards or punishes an individual, there's a little bit of an effect on the group productivity as a whole. So basically the thing that they found in that study is that it is irrelevant whether or not the power bases, the reward and coercive ones specifically are being used on an individual, but it matters deeply how that power base is being used. Okay. So the study looked at four possibilities. One was rewards were being given contingently, rewards were being given non-contingently, punishments were being given contingently, and punishments were given non-contingently. Basically, that meant that, you know, rewards were being given based on a follower's input, that's contingently, uh, or not, not non-contingently, and punishments were being given based on followers' input, contingently or not. Um, So what they found their their assumption going into that study was that if a leader used rewards and punishments contingently, uh, they would be seen as fairer and group productivity would rise, and that if they were used randomly or non-contingently, group productivity would fall. What they found, though, was that while contingent rewards to individuals were seen positively and did increase reward power bases... The result was an increase of competitiveness and group productivity falling in the long run. Why do I feel that this is important? Well, because the Navy forces us into these highly competitive arenas, right? Forced distribution on our evaluations. Awards are given almost dependent on rank. When was the last time you saw an E4 that got a comm? <laughs> When was the last time you saw a chief get a NAM? So so we kind of get into these areas of like where we need to perform in a certain kind of way. We need to get these rewards. We need to get these evals. But in order to do that, we need to be competitive, right? Because even if, even if the systems weren't broke by any means and that these rewards, such as EPs and awards uh, or Sailor of the Quarters, were given 100% contingently based on Sailor's input, it was still resulting in a drop in productivity. So I really wanted to bring this up because be aware that anytime you use rewards, you're potentially increasing the competitiveness in your group. Okay. And if you increase the competitiveness in your group too high, it will result in lack of productivity. Now, in addition to this increase in competitiveness, though, they also found that contingent rewards had positive correlation with group drive and cohesion. They weren't willing to say that contingent rewards gave rise to group drive and cohesion, but 
there was a positive correlation to it. Um, however, productivity was not linked to contingent rewards and productivity other than the increase in competitiveness. So I just wanted to bring that up uh, very quickly. It's a pretty, I mean, most of these studies, these are, these are like seven, eight page journals, right? It's, it, they can be difficult um, to get through, but it's not too bad of a read. So if you're interested in this stuff, I, I highly recommend going to read it. In summary, power bases are complex to say the least. Fundamentally, followers must choose to buy into the leader and the power bases that they are choosing to use. If you don't have a leader that is choosing to follow you, is choosing to give you give you power, then you don't have any. I fundamentally believe that you cannot take power. Because even if you could, such as like legitimate power or reward power or coercive, eventually the negative repercussions of that will, will always catch up to you. But... A leader who's using reward power base, but seemingly all over the board with how they apply the rewards will have a very limited power, right? A leader who coerces an entire group for the actions of a single person can increase social pressures to conform, but reduce the power base of that leader. Referent power requires that a follower aspires to be a, be like that leader in a very specific way, right? That's the one that, that I view somebody as a good communicator and I want to be like them for that. And it's pretty internalized and subconscious. So that one's pretty hard to wield effectively, but it can be useful if you know how. Uh, Legitimate power is closely tied to personal morality and ethics that leaders have to spend a huge amount of time getting to know their followers and adjusting how they present information to match those personalities that sometimes legitimate power bases is, is pretty impossible to use. I'll tell you what, though, the one way that it is highly effective is if you spend time getting to know yourself, spend time. And I know this is going to sound weird, but write in a journal every time you come to a decision at work, talk about the conditions of that decision. What was all of the information that you had? What was the decision that you made? And then come back to it in a week or two weeks or six months, depending on what the decision was, and document whether or not it was an effective decision so that the next time you get into that situation, you can remember, hey, I've been down this road uh, and I it didn't, it didn't actually work out for me, so I'm going to try something different this time, right? That's how you wield legitimate power is by increasing your self-awareness. And anybody who's been through the new leader development courses knows that self-awareness is where it is at. Informational uh, power base requires a certain level of trust and trust can be fragile. That's the same with expert power base, right? Uh, These power bases can make you seem a little authoritarian, democratic, or laissez-faire, and that's okay because all three of those leadership styles that were first found or first identified in 1939 those are useful exactly when those are useful sometimes no matter what though understanding a little more thoroughly where a leader can get the ability to influence a follower can only help us in being more effective if you run into a situation where a certain power base is not working like the promise of an soq submission or the threat of captain's mast or nobody you don't feel like you have a reference power base because nobody's coming and asking you hey can you teach me how to write an eval or whatever um 
maybe adjust, find a different power base that works a little better for that specific situation. Okay. Don't be afraid to experiment in leadership too often, not too often, but I think sometimes it, it's a little more comfortable just to sit here and be like, oh, well, it didn't work. Pass it off to the next guy. Um, and, and much harder to just try something different. And the only way you're going to know what other different things to do is by studying this stuff and getting into it. So I really hope that you enjoyed um, this foundation's kickoff podcast, really, I guess. And I'm looking for input on what other topics you might want me to take some of these deep dives into, right? What are, what are some new foundational things? I think Gert Hofstede's one of them that I'm kind of really kind of mulling over, but reach out to us, give us, give us some feedback. What are some formal leadership topics that you'd really like uh, us to get in the weeds on uh, and kind of talk about a little bit? I said at the beginning, this was the first one that I'm recording by myself. So um, any feedback is welcome. I really appreciate it. And I hope that overall, I brought some kind of value to you. Um, So with that, thanks for your time. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Really grateful that he took the time uh, and to have him on board. Um, I'm looking forward to getting more people involved in this way. Uh, to give just different perspectives. There's all kinds of different contexts and experiences and just parts of the Navy that I don't have the experience to share uh, in the same ways. So uh, pumped to have him on board. You should see these about once a month. That's the goal. Uh, And like I said before, looking for feedback, uh, please, please, please let us know, not just what we did poorly, but what we can do better. Uh, and also if you have suggestions about things you want to hear from him, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit at DGS podcast. I will get the message. He will get the message. Uh, chief Bob will get the message. Everybody will get the message, um, to build on this in the future, make it better. Uh, we, we definitely want to fix these things. Some of it is going to be, uh, as he gets more experience recording podcasts, he'll get smoother and <laughs> it'll get better in that way. But also, uh, the topics, the things you, the types of things you want to hear, the, the topics that you want to hear, whatever, um, definitely open to any type of feedback that you have, except I'm not changing the music at the beginning of the episodes. And so let it go. <laughs> I'm drawing a line. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I hope this is something that people get excited about. Uh, so I, I imagine this will probably appeal more to the junior ranks, but I could be wrong about that. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing the reaction and going from there. Uh, and that's really it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>